welcome back to the Fix the Money podcast. I have a very special guest today, Rul Ostgard, Norwegian author and attorney, if I'm correct, um, author of Fraudcoin 1000 Years with Inflation as a Policy. Hi, Rul. Hello, Nico. How are you? I'm very well. I hope you're, you're good as well. Yes, I am. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for taking your time. Let's play um, the Did I Pronounce Your Name Correctly um, game very quickly. Can you please state your name and occupation in Norwegian? Okay. Um, my name is Rune Östgård, and um, I'm a lawyer and an author. And an author. And um, I, I stumbled upon you um, in Peter McCormick's podcast. I remember it very vividly. I was in, I was in Munich for a for a Bitcoin conference, because that's the only reason to leave uh, town these days. And um, I went for a run on Theresienwiese, where they, are, where they do the, um, um, the, the Oktoberfest. And, and normally I don't run, when I go running, I don't listen to podcasts, but when I'm in the city, I, 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 I do. And um, I was very impressed with your book, because you really go back, like you say in the title, you go back a thousand years. But before we start there, Let's you know talk about what's happening right now because I see many tweets regarding um, the Norwegian krona. Is that correctly? Is it krona? Mm. Um, are you uh, are you in trouble up there in the north? <laughs> Not me personally, but I think uh, our economy is going through quite some transition, and it's been going on since the financial crisis in 2008. Basically, the Norwegian Krona has uh, lost a lot of its value. So we have to pay uh, twice as many US dollars now uh, in order to buy dollars with uh, no, twice as many kroner in order to buy US dollars and 50% more uh, in terms of, uh, of euro, in terms of buying euro. So it's uh, quite some debasement uh, actually. And uh, it, this devaluation was uh, increasing um, yeah, over the last, let's say, in the period December to June, and then it stopped and uh, it uh, turned a bit uh, around. So it, it, then we, the, the krona became a little bit more valuable again. I don't follow it very closely these days, so I don't know what, uh, what the situation is actually now in August. <clears throat> You stopped following it because when I when I look at your Twitter feed, it was like Corona here, Corona there, all day long. Yes, in June and first part of July, I followed it very closely because many people, you know, they 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 found this uh, this quite alarming. So it was something that uh, not only the economists uh, and financial people were discussing, but uh, most people were talking about it, um, or many people at least, and also most people were talking about and concerned about the inflation. So these two uh, things, they are very sort of closely knit together, the, you know, with the import prices and the, and the price, general pr price level in, in Norway. Okay. Do I understand correctly that you said that the, the Norwegian Krona had had uh, lost like a hundred percent towards the the another hundred percent or a twi lost fifty percent towards the dollar. Yeah. And since the, the financial crisis, because normally inflation you measure it against houses, stocks, you know, Bitcoin, maybe gold, but 
if you already lose that much against the dollar, that's really a problem. Yeah, definitely. I think we we could get one dollar for uh, a little bit more than five Norwegian kroner in April in 2008, and um, in uh, May June this year, we had to pay. I think it was ten and a half Norwegian kroner to get one US dollar, so twice as much basically. And um, compared with the euro, we had to pay some 50% more in, in that period. So what, what, what brings you to the topic of inflation? Was it this experience? Because you wrote your book before the onslaught of the inflation that we are seeing right now, right? It, that was not what motivated it. So you just, it, it needed to come from somewhere else. Okay, so the book, takes as a starting point that people really need to understand what inflation is and the basic fact that it is a policy. And uh, I understood already in 2008 during the financial crisis that I need to try to convey this um, understanding, this knowledge to others. So I wrote an op-ed uh, in a regional, for a regional newspaper in uh, November it was published just, uh, I think, four days or something after the white paper was published. I see. And um, then when the price inflation started to rear its ugly head in the spring of 2022, I thought that what about writing a sort of a, a pamphlet, you know, like those small handouts that uh, people used to uh, distribute on the street corners some hundred years ago when they had a message they want to convey to people about politics uh, or something like that. So just to, to expand a little bit about on, on the op-ed and, and write a few pages where I explain this in a little bit more detail. And then what happened was the, that I uh, submitted uh, a draft to a uh, gold bug in Oslo because I read something that he had wrote on uh, had written on the internet which I found interesting and I, I, I asked him is this something you you like and he wrote back to me no but uh, he actually called back to me and said that this is going to be the most important book in Norway for uh, decades uh, for several decades so you have to do this uh, as a book and publish it so I wrote uh, wrote the book in three months uh, last summer, beginning of uh, fall uh, last year. And are you are you writing a new book right now? Is that the reason you're not following the inflation anymore? Well, I, I still follow the inflation, but uh, not so much the uh, how the Norwegian krona mm -hmm. develop, de develops. And uh, yes, that's correct. Uh, I'm writing a new book. Uh, it's uh, going to be titled uh, Arrow of truth and uh, this book is about bitcoin so while uh, while fraud coin my uh, uh, previous book is about uh, inflation so the subtitle is 1000 years with inflation as a policy so the next book is more specifically about bitcoin Okay, so before we dive into the whole inflation as a policy and the history, which is extremely um, important and, of course, 
Um, we know this from, from Austrian economists, um, specifically Mises talked a lot about um, inflation being a policy. Um, he did not go back to, to a thousand years. He did not go back to the Vikings like you did. Um, but, but I wonder, what is it that you, that you expect to happen next? So what is it that you expect to happen within the next, let's say, five years? on the money front? What are the things in your, that, that go through your mind? I know that, you know, we don't want to talk about the future too much because the future is always uncertain, but what are you looking for? So I don't know more about the future than uh, you or anybody else. So this is just my uh, trying to, to yeah, peek into the, what do you call it? The, the glass bowl? <laughs> The, the, yes, or, yes, and we, we in, in German we say "Kaffee uh, food lesen," which basically means yes. you read the coffee, right? Coffee, yeah. leaves, yes, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the coffee. Hmm. Yeah, no, uh, I think that uh, Bitcoin is going to do very well, and uh, national currencies will struggle uh, quite a lot in, in in the next few years, and uh, the situation is a bit chaotic. Um, uh, what, what I think is that uh, Bitcoin probably is going to establish itself as uh, the number one money type within 10, 15 years or something like that. That's my best guess. And uh, I think that uh, the transition is going to be more... Uh, I don't think we are going to see hyperinflation in the Western countries, but that it's going to be a more of a gradual development over time. The reason why I think this is because the inflation policy and especially the US dollars, dollar and today's monetary system, that's a very heavy ship to you, you are not able to steer it uh, suddenly in any direction it sort of moves forward it's uh, tough to, to to put the brakes on and make it make it stop but now when we have uh, when we have um, bitcoin mm-hmm. and from before we have gold and we also we have a variety of currencies. And the BRICS countries are trying to get a little bit um, uh, away from the dollar dominance. So I think uh, the total picture um, creates a lot more of dynamics than many people uh, think of. And these the but, dynamics might actually help us a little bit, I think, instead of sort of forcing us into a hyperinflation uh, scenario. You mean you mean we won't have hyperinflation because there is alternatives because because Bitcoin exists? Is that, yeah. is that something? Why? Because is the thinking that people would just flee because then you would have hyperinflation or is it that 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 bitcoin forces governments to be more more um, responsible exactly so since we have this new escape hatch bitcoin 
they have to behave uh, more responsible because if they don't people will flee in droves and um, uh, accumulate bitcoin and then that will be a dramatic uh, situation for the national currencies but do we know i mean if bitcoin didn't exist from your analysis of inflation, right? We've been through these inflationary cycles many times. So where do we, forget Bitcoin for a second, where do we stand today? Because in 2008, I am, how old are you, if I may ask? I'm 50. You're 50, so I'm 40, so I'm old enough to remember. Because the thing is, when I talk to like 25 year olds in the, at university and I talk about the financial crisis like it was yesterday, they were in school you know, um, and they don't care. Um, but but um, in, I, I remember in 2008, I was very worried about inflation, but it did not arrive, not in the, in the form that we expected. Now it, it, it arrived and I see many, many things basically in my, in my daily lives, you know. I just went to the supermarket and I, and I looked at the people and I could, I could see that people are looking for, you know, cheaper, cheaper stuff and the prices are, absolutely insane by now i mean it's 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 you basically you it doesn't matter if you go to the supermarket or if you go to the restaurant you always pay 20 euros for lunch right mm. um and so my question is without bitcoin what would happen what would be the next the next steps in the inflationary cycle mm. I think that the next step would be uh, quite a lot of deleveraging uh, and that's going to happen anyway now uh, many places I think and I think deleveraging deleveraging mm -hmm. yes and so you you would you would in that scenario also have a, a recession in many countries and sort of the economy will then flush out a lot of the bad debt and then it would uh, pick up again with uh, the stimulate uh, st uh, stimulative packages and and uh, more inflation more monetary inflation that's uh, what i think would would have happened but now but... i think that that's also that's going to happen anyway now with bitcoin but I think that the governments, they don't won't have the same degree of flexibility. They have to, they have to act somewhat a little bit more responsible. They can't print that much money now when people can escape to to Bitcoin. But but deleveraging would be part of being a little bit responsible, right? That that would be because when you one of the ways you can be responsible, quote unquote, in the fiat system is to have higher rates earlier and to let, you know, the market do its thing. And that's what they are at least trying to do right now. Hmm. Yeah, that's correct. That's what, what they are trying to do now. And that's uh, also what I assume that they would have done uh, without Bitcoin uh, in, mm -hmm. in the picture. So my point is just that the flexibility they have when there isn't any escape hatch such as Bitcoin or gold. Mm -hmm. The flexibility is a little bit greater 
so they can do a little bit more than uh, more money printing. But now they I have see. to be more careful because more and more people will understand that uh, we have this escape patch. We just have to learn how to use it. And uh, the central banks will have to behave a little bit more yeah, responsibly. Fix the Money is brought to you by 21Bitcoin, the easy way to buy, sell, save, and send Bitcoin. 21Bitcoin is a Bitcoin-only app, not an exchange. There's no distractions. There's an individual savings plan, very low fees, first-class personal support, and a German bank account. Based in the Austrian Alps, it's available now throughout Europe. Download now using the code FIXTHEMONEY to get up to 20% off your fees over there on 21bitcoin.app. Not your keys, not your coins. You need a hardware wallet signing device. Check out the Bitbox O2. Swiss made, secure, beautiful, open source, Tor support, Bitcoin only, and an all around outstanding product. Use the code FIXTHEMONEY on shiftcrypto.ch to get 5% off. That's the Bitbox O2. Fix the money. I have this 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 thought in my head. From have you seen? I think it was two years ago. It was Jack Dorsey on uh, in Miami, and he said, "You know, Bitcoin changes changes everything." Um. And it's on the one hand, it's 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 interesting and great to be part of it, and on the other hand, it's a bit scary. The, the thought, right? Um, you know, we could miss something. I mean, um. How does Bitcoin change everything? And, and, and because if there is a, a new money in town and that really influences governments and central banks, that does, that is you know the changing of everything. I mean, we can basically throw a uh, hundred years of um, of literature, uh, economic yeah. literature, out of the window. Yes, we sh we should already do that, shouldn't we? Yeah. So, um, oh, I think I think that. Uh, you know, when you have a debt-based economy like now, like we have now, it's an inflation policy. We are we have strong incentives to leverage up, you know, both the consumers and the businesses, mm -hmm. borrow money, get the first new money as early as possible. Um, so you. You, you get so much debt in the system and uh, so much of uh, the investments are financed by borrowing. And uh, if, if you have a type of money which isn't uh, possible to inflate, like Bitcoin, it has, a, it has a set inflation schedule and it will disappear totally in 2140. Then you will have a transition towards uh, people and businesses using um, savings instead when they invest. And people won't be incentivized to borrow as uh, much money. So I think I think the economy the economic system will be totally different. And since the economic system with the monetary system as sort of the first, the most important layer 
in the economy. When all of that changes so dramatically, one must expect that uh, you get similar, similar level and many types of changes throughout society. So it will be very different, but it will be probably much more, much better. And since, since I, I, my take is that this is going to take, um, uh, take some time. It's not going to happen suddenly. That's my view. That's my belief. Then uh, I'm not so scared for, for um, I'm not so scared of what can happen. And the question is really, the most important question is, if we didn't have Bitcoin, wouldn't that be much more scary? Yes, I can, I can give you that answer. I mean, we wouldn't know, we, we wouldn't know, right? Um, and we wouldn't even be talking right now, probably. Um, I, I was talking about these things before I was talking about Bitcoin, um, not necessarily before Bitcoin existed, but before I took it seriously. And I can tell you that the, the debate on inflation as a policy specifically, it's non-existent. It's basically a couple of, you know, older gold bugs um, complaining about um, that nobody wants to listen to them. Economists are, well, I can, I basically brainwashed by this, by, by the machine. Um, and and I, I knew this all also before I even got into Bitcoin because I never understood why economists would never think about money. Um, they always, for them, money was always something that started in a central bank. And what, what's, what, what came before, nobody cared about. And I always thought that was weird. I've always thought that was weird. Um, but the central bank model is also extremely resilient and extremely successful in its own way. I mean, we had a central bank in... In, in the Soviet Union and the central bank in the in the so-called capitalist U.S. at the same time, you know, um, it's the only the only thing that anybody in the world can agree, everybody in the world can agree on, um, basically. Besides maybe El Salvador, who who don't have their own currency, but um, for me, it's it's the idea that that we could be onto something with this Bitcoin thing. Yes, it's it's. I'm totally with you that the idea. Uh, of, of turning it 180 degrees on its head is, is amazing. But for me, it's still scary. It's still, it's, it's really scary. Hmm. Yeah, for me, it's, it's a, quite a simpler uh, psychological exercise because I don't know, you, you, ha you said that you have children, several children too, or? I have two three? kids, yeah, yeah. Two kids, yes. And I have one daughter and my take is that her future would look scary without Bitcoin. Yeah. Sort of, it's as simple as that, but with Bitcoin, it's less scary. It will be a transition phase, but still it provides some opportunities for her that she wouldn't have uh, without it. Do you think that, because I can tell you, for me, I am this, this person, right? I don't mind, I'm not like 100,000% low time preference because I'm also older. I think it's very much an age thing, right? 
Um, but, but I'm also a saver. I've never had a, a, a euro of debt in my life. I didn't buy an apartment. I don't lease a car. I, 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 the idea of taking on debt is just totally alien to me, right? So that's why I think I get Bitcoin and I get gold because they are equity-based. So is this, what, is this really what you're saying? Do you really think that we're going from, an, from an, uh, um, a debt-based inflationary society basically to an equity-based um, deflationary Definitely. society? Um, is there any like, example in history? Has this ever happened before? Have we ever, or is there an approximation like the gold standard or something like that? Yes, during the 19th century, the price levels in Europe were largely flat. And then we had the gold standard, most mm -hmm. places. Uh, and in some parts of that period and in some geographical areas in some countries, the prices actually went down. So you had price deflation and also in the United States, you had uh, uh, price deflation, sound price deflation uh, due to the monetary system that they had there. But not only that, also probably because they had a large influx of uh, people moving to, to the United States and sort of they build it, built it a little bit more from the ground and up, you know. Uh, very quickly over there. So there were many deflationary forces in the in the United States. And if you go further back, you can go to the 16th century in uh, the Netherlands. After the revolution, when the Dutch people freed themselves uh, themselves from, I think the last ruler was the Spanish king. And, um, was the Habsburgs? Was us? Oh, was it? Okay, yes, it I think uh, the Spanish. Yeah. Yes, the Spanish king, but he was a Habsburg. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Mm. And the and the and the, and the Habsburgs. They are, I write a little bit about it in my book. Uh, they were using inflation to a yeah to a great degree, and uh, sort of uh, it was. Uh, created many difficulties for the people and the Dutch, once they managed to free themselves uh, in the revolution, they decided quite uh, quickly that they wanted to abol abolish uh, the, the inflation system. So they introduced what we used to have in my country before 1050 of the Christ. And that was a system of monetary freedom. So people were free to use any kind of money that they would like, and they used uh, they liked best uh, the money with a high uh, content of gold or silver, and they used coins from yeah, from the Arabic uh, Arab countries and also from many places uh, throughout Europe. And um, so this was uh, what the Dutch did in the middle of the 16th century. And uh, what happened then was that they, they had a large influx of uh, gold and silver uh, coins from uh, other parts of Europe because most of the places, uh, the kings and the emperors, they used uh, 
they had inflation as a policy. So people's um, money became less valuable in those countries because they had to go to the mint, to the royal mint and uh, hand over some silver or gold and get uh, coins in, in exchange for that. And then the coins uh, had less silver or gold in total than what they gave to the mint. So it was a sort of a silver taxation and gold taxation. So it was better for them to uh, take the money to the Netherlands where they had a more liberal system. And um, the Dutch established um, Amsterdam Bank, which was a very successful business. And they also established a mint and people could give their gold and uh, silver to the mint and have, uh, have their uh, valuable metals standardized. And they didn't pay much for uh, the, uh, the coinage. It was a small fee that only covered the cost uh, of, of, of the mint. So it, was a, it wasn't a profit motive by the rulers in, in the Netherlands. No, they understood that in order to facilitate trade, even if you have monetary freedom, um, one part that the government has always plays is basically um, defining, you know, what's what, and then of course um, protecting property rights because that is something that that um, you know I, th I think that many Bitcoiners might be overlooking when they talk about um, you know. Uh, separating money from state. Yes, you, you do separate money from state. You can probably not separate capital from state um, in, 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 in so far as the government has to, you know, somehow basically, let's call like whitelist your assets, right? That's what, that's, that's, that's why I think um, we're going to have a wild ride with Bitcoin. Um, but also that the whole BlackRock thing is now very interesting, you know, because they, mm. they, they are legitimizing not only Bitcoin from a PR standpoint, but also um, from it's, it's, it, they are turning Bitcoin into capital because you can just buy it with BlackRock and everything else like on the, on the, um, the law side is covered. Mm. But the, I mean, the Bank of Amsterdam, that's, that's kind of ironic because that's, that was the precursor to the Swedish uh, Riksbank, which was the first um, um, central bank. So it all comes full circle, right? Mm. And, and, and also, by the way, it is on, on, only a little thing, but because we talked about the Habsburgs today, what's left of the Habsburgs, they are very much into Austrian economics and very much into, into hard money today. Yeah? That's very interesting. Mm. I didn't know that. They don't have much influence anymore, um, but but sometimes they talk. And uh, Karl Habsburg, uh, who is um, who would be the emperor today if if the monarchy still existed, um, he talks about Mises and Hayek, and 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 uh, it happens, but not very you know not very publicly. But I think this idea of monetary freedom is is is, is so interesting um, because there is no reason, especially in the digitalist world, why we should be forced to use a specific money, right? Um, do, is, do you think that something that like, like you, we saw in Amsterdam could be happening in places like El Salvador in the long run? I know it doesn't, it never happens quite yeah. straight away, but in the long run. 
So in El Salvador, they made the strategic decision to um, implement uh, Bitcoin as legal tender in addition to the US dollars. Um, I don't, I can't say that it was the wrong decision. Uh, I would have preferred that uh, they said that uh, people could be free to mm -hmm. use whatever money they would like. It might be that it would have been difficult for the administration over there to handle a situation where you have monetary freedom in terms of how to collect taxes, etc. It might be easier in um, in other countries which are more, uh, in quote marks, uh, developed, mm -hmm. uh, more advanced. I don't know. But the effect of uh, saying that a Bitcoin is legal tender can, can be quite big uh, in the longer term. It can have an effect on, uh, on other countries as well. Uh, I do understand that uh, it's, uh, there are some legal issues related to that. Because if, if, for instance, I own legal tender coins, which are created in... Uh, by the US Mint or something like that, or in in the UK or in Australia. If I buy uh, such a coin and sell it, I don't have to pay uh, capital gains tax on that. And that's because it's legal tender coin coins. Um, and I see that there is a discussion on since now El Salvador has said that uh, um, Bitcoin is legal tender, will mm -hmm. it also be the same with regard to Bitcoin as it uh, currently is with, uh, with, with foreign coins? I think that um, few countries have probably reflected upon that when they uh, designed their... Uh, the rules uh, on, in the tax code with reference to, to, to foreign legal tender. So that might have been part of the reasoning when they introduced uh, Bitcoin as legal tender in El Salvador. I don't know. I haven't talked to them about it. Uh, but it would be interesting to, to, to hear what they think about it if it if it may have an impact uh, in terms of uh, regulation and uh, implementation of Bitcoin in other countries. I don't know. I, I think it might. I think it might. Uh, there, I know from Austria that they are, they are thinking about this, especially from the tax perspective, but I don't know um, if anything specific will come of it. In the, the government can also say, no, we don't care. You know, We don't care that yeah. it's legal tender over there. Um, what are you going to do? You know, mm, yeah. <laughs> you <don't care. laughs> yeah. That's uh, the freedom you have as a politician. You know, it's uh, very simple. Like exactly, that. exactly, exactly. What, what's the status of Bitcoin in Norway? Okay, I think that we don't have exact uh, statistics on the Bitcoin adoption. But uh, if we look at the numbers for cryptocurrency adoption, including Bitcoin, we are a, bit, a little bit below the global average. Um, there is a little bit of uh, Bitcoin mining in Norway, and the last report I saw said that uh, 3% of the hash rate is uh, produced in Norway. So okay. we have a lot. Yeah, we have a lot of um, 
uh, of hydropower in Norway, you know, and especially up north in the northern half of uh, Norway. Um, it's, it's very cheap energy, cheap electricity. Mm -hmm. So we have uh, quite a few miners uh, up there, but it's, it's early. Okay, but you should have, I mean, you have hydro and the oil, maybe you just, the oil just gets exported, right? Yeah. Um, but you did, but, but wasn't the CT thing from Norway, um, Aker and uh, Kiel Inge Rocke, he was, he's Norwegian, right? Yes, he's still Norwegian, but he um, moved to, to Switzerland last year. Uh, but did, mm. did, did anything did anything materialize with that or is that do you know anything about that i think that they bought quite a lot of bitcoin before the peak before the bear market okay and so we haven't heard so much about it after the the, the price the bitcoin price fell um, but from what i understand is that they still uh, own quite a lot of bitcoin i, I don't think they have sold anything and uh, my, um, from what I hear, uh, Kjell Inge Røkke, who is one of the richest men uh, mm -hmm. from Norway, he's quite into this sort of from an intellectual and philosophical point of view. He understands this very well, they say. And he's, he's also, of course, a very smart, uh, a smart guy. So th that's, that's quite good i think in terms of having someone who could uh, lead the way so to speak and uh, perhaps uh, be an inspiration to to others uh, typically investors uh, the financial market moving forward but i don't i don't think that very much will happen before the bitcoin price uh, moves uh, uh, moves up uh, again then they of course will be more interested uh, again in, in terms of uh, making investments in, in bitcoin uh, are people interested in bitcoin as an as an alternative like as, a, as an investment because of the inflation or is it is it uh, i don't know i'm looking mm. for anecdotal evidence basically okay so i'm not uh, very much in direct uh, contact with the financial market players and investors mm -hmm. but Norway is um, I would say quite conservative and uh, it's a trust-based society has always uh, been that and people have placed a lot of trust in our pol politicians and sort of uh, the civil servants uh, mm -hmm. bureaucrats you know and there there's been a quite a lot of gaslighting uh, with regard to Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies from, from that part of the society. So the industry and the financial sector, they are quite hesitant, I would, um, that's my impression at least. And they are sort of sitting on the fence. Uh, I don't know if you have the, that expression in English or in German, but yes. uh, they're sort of watching the situation. From what I hear, uh, people have become much more concerned uh, the last few months due to the high price inflation and the uncertainty uh, for the markets uh, due to the um, problems that the Norwegian krone has had. You know, the exchange foreign exchange markets uh, plays with it uh, quite violently, and that creates quite a, a challenge for 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 um, manufacturing. Uh, 
and service uh, service industry as well in insofar as they rely on imports so it's it's difficult for them to plan and uh, from what i hear people are becoming more open to the idea of looking into bitcoin mm -hmm. and trying to understand more about it and of course that's also a bit um, um the idea of writing a book now uh, about bitcoin we think that uh, uh, now that uh, the fraud coin book my uh, previous book has got quite well known and quite well received in norway so people have been used to talk about monetary policy and inflation um it's more uh, it's more broadly being talked about in the Norwegian society. So they are now more receptive, I think, to the idea of diving into what Bitcoin is. So the timing of uh, my previous book was uh, quite good. And also I think that the timing of the next book will be, will be perfect because people are being uh, more open now and uh, yeah, due to the problems with the economy and the, in, and the inflation. But, I don't and, know how it is in Austria. Um, what's your what's your sort of feeling of of the situation there today? Well, I mean, the first of all, I wanted to ask you: so do you, do you write the books specifically for the Norwegian people first? Is that correct? Actually, my current book project about Bitcoin is written in English. Mm -hmm. So. Um, the, the market that we think is the biggest and most important market for both of the books is the English-speaking world, but uh, also Fraudcoin is being uh, translated now into German. So we, we think that these books uh, will meet a global demand for information about uh, inflation and, uh, and, and Bitcoin. I agree, I agree. I mean, Bitcoin books is... There are many Bitcoin books. Um, I... Uh, as you asked me, so I, I'm a journalist, I've been writing all my life, so I have a problem with writing now. I don't want to write, it feels too much like work. So I don't, I, I switch to videos and podcasts and, and stuff. I, I, I know I should be writing a book, but I still can't get myself to it. Um, and with the people, it's, I think that if we're honest, the, the price and the speculation part is still much, 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 much more important than the, the, the logical, I save my money in Bitcoin idea. Um, yeah. And that's how most people got into Bitcoin in the first place. I, I, and it's also, I mean, I don't have to tell you this because you have studied inflation. It's also a, a direct, like a higher risk risk-taking um, ability is also a direct um, 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 consequence of inflation, right? If, the, if inflation wasn't was ruining the money, Bitcoin wouldn't even exist, let alone be bought, be bought by people because they say, why, why should I do that? I still have um, good money at the bank, right? Um, but, but I don't think that, you know, any, any mass of people is going to go into Bitcoin in order to to save themselves, it's, it's, it's always going to be an, a little, like a small avant-garde of people and the rest is just going to be there because the price goes up. Hmm. 
and they think that they can make money. And yes, they might think they run away from inflation, but they still think in, in, in euro terms. While I think that one of the most important developments of Bitcoin is basically using it as a money in the cyber economy. And the cyber economy is probably still in its absolute infancy. Um, I think that, that you know, we see Google and we see YouTube and we see, you know, now we talk here and I have a camera and a, a screen. We think this is it, but it's probably not. It's probably just the start. Um, so I'm very interested in what's, what, like, what kind of um, uh, business models will Bitcoin um, enable that aren't even enabled with fiat money at all, um, especially in the internet. So I, I want to see that and then I, I'd like to see more people actually use Bitcoin besides speculation and saving. I know that both are fine. I'm just saying it's easier for many people who are like very early in Bitcoin are people who actually used it as money 10 years ago because they needed to pay somebody in Australia or in the US, or, you know, and they, are, they still stick around because they knew it, they, they know it works. Um, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. My, my idea is that if we could facilitate a little bit faster trans transition, faster adoption of Bitcoin, that would be good. Yeah. And um, so the question I asked myself when I wrote the first book on inflation was who should I write it for? Who should I sort yeah. of address? And uh, I was convinced that I needed to address the average reader at the same time as I had to bring something to the table also for the economists who are curious about uh, the origins of money and monetary policy. So everybody should uh, gain something from reading it. Um, and my hope was that I would be able to get across to call it uh, not 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 necessarily the average person but perhaps those people who are able to lead others and to be idols so to speak uh, natural leaders intelligent good uh, good warm people who wants to live good lives for themselves and their own family and also to set an, a positive example to others. Mm -hmm. Because um, they might inspire uh, the broader masses and many other at least many other people to follow and uh, pick up uh, the interest for money as a topic and, and the understanding of, uh, of inflation. And perhaps uh, they would be able to lift up the debate and make it a sort of a natural thing to discuss our money, the future of our money, that is important and natural for everybody to, to, to discuss this. So when I, when I write the book about Bitcoin now, I know from experience and my understanding of the Bitcoin space now, that there are very many services and very many books and articles that are sort of inward directed. They are 
directed towards the Bitcoin community. Mm-hmm. And it's, to me, it looks like it's uh, being produced a whole lot of content and services and goods uh, in order to cater, in order to, to meet the demand of Bitcoiners, people who have already been orange build. My feeling, and I don't have any evidence for this, but my feeling is that um, the supply of these services, uh, this, this content, is uh, very high. At the same time, as uh, people don't look too much uh, towards the others, the no-coiners or people who don't know anything about coins at all. So when I write the Bitcoin book, I want to uh, use that as a project where we can onboard people who are not, uh, who doesn't know anything about Bitcoin at all. So it should be a, a sort of a beginner, not a beginner's book, but sort of a bridge from total ignorance, but some degree of interest for the project for, for, for this topic because it's being talked about. You know, you want to learn a little bit about it, and uh, also enable to uh, enable them to understand this, that this is not only serious. Uh, this is also a good project. It's a humanitarian project. It's good for society. It's good for our children that we have Bitcoin as an opportunity. So my book aims a lot more uh, on, on ordinary uh, at, at, at the market where, where you have the ordinary people, um, interest people interested in politics, uh, economics, um, history, etc more than uh, the Bitcoiners, because you and me and uh, all the other Bitcoiners, we have more than enough stuff which has been written and produced for, for us. That's my, my impression. Not, not to say that we should, we should stop uh, uh, making services and uh, stuff for, for the Bitcoin commu- community. Uh, I, I think that's important, but it's, it's quite a lot that, that's being produced these days, both in terms of podcasts and YouTube channels, uh, you know, educational stuff, uh, uh, cold cold storage wallets, you know, uh, software uh, discussion mm-hmm. groups, uh, everything. You know, you can sit 24/7 and uh, and read something new or something that you have read many times before, but it's presented in a new channel. So. So I, I try to, to look outside that um, box, so to speak, and, and, and try to yeah, create a bridge for the others to, to, to join us. I think, I think you might be right. Um, and I think it's very important that you do that. I think it's very hard for many people who get into what we call the Bitcoin rabbit hole. You know, after a while, you, you start speaking in a different tongue. You, you get, and you get overly excited. There's a phase where you think you understand the whole world and you get mad at anybody who doesn't understand it and then it gets better again. But what I want to say is that I think it's hard. I did actually in my German podcast, so I'm doing my, my main podcast is my German podcast. And I'm, like in the first episode, I wanted to do a beginner's episode for like introduce Bitcoin to people with somebody who's doing um, a YouTube channel aimed at beginners. 
and we started the interview and I can tell you after 10 minutes we already talked about stuff that beginners would never understand. Um, so it's, it, it's, what I'm saying is it's very hard to always pull yourself back and look at the world um, through fiat eyes basically. Um, and that's the one thing I would say. And the second thing, I, I agree that there is a lot, um, but there's a reason. And the reason is not only that, that people like Bitcoin so much, but the reason is that Bitcoin changes everything. And when Bitcoin changes everything, you change. I totally your, agree. Yeah. You, you, you change your perspective, right? And if you change your perspective, you have to look at everything anew. And that's why there is so many things to talk about in Bitcoin and with Bitcoiners um, that it never gets boring. I mean, I do like three episodes a week now, one in English, two in German, and there's still, uh, I still don't, I, I feel like I'm scratching the surface. Hmm. I totally agree. I totally agree, and uh, I guess I'm uh, still a little bit, um, what you say, colored, we say in Norwegian, or um, uh, that we are, I, I remember how it was to meet the Bitcoin community yeah. uh, last fall when I was in the sort of final phase of writing my fraud coin book. And uh, what I saw quite a lot was that people said you have to study Bitcoin for thousands of hours before you understand it. You have to read so much, you have to discuss it with others uh, and, and still sort of you have to get prepare yourself and, and get ready for it before you can become a Bitcoiner and sort of yeah, be confident. Uh, mm -hmm being a Bitcoiner and buying Bitcoin, etc. And to me, it felt a little bit exclusionary. Mm -hmm. That sort of, it excluded others, unless you were willing to put down the, the, the work, put down the hours, then you, be, you couldn't become a real Bitcoiner or you wouldn't be able to understand this. So that was actually why I, in I think it was in December or something like that. I, I decided to, to write my next book on Bitcoin because I wanted to condense a lot of the knowledge and make it accessible for people. So when they, if they read first uh, the fraud coin book and uh, the Bitcoin book afterwards, they should be able at least to decide if they want to, um, to, to, to buy some or earn some Bitcoin. You, you know, it's in Bitcoin. You know who who remind uh, um, who you remind me of? No, Jeff Booth. Okay, because his book was also his book was actually not about Bitcoin, and then he got like into Bitcoin at like the end of researching, and then it said it slid in there a little bit, and then he started <laughs> doing podcasts only talking about Bitcoin, and and now he doesn't have time to write a book about Bitcoin. <laughs> Um, but it's, yes. it's, it's a lot like that. Huh? Yeah, several people have said that to me. And I've also, of course, read uh, The Price of Tomorrow, uh, Jeff's uh, book. It's a very good book. And I, I understand uh, quite well how he, where he comes from. Um, so th the question is how to, how to onboard others, how to make this an interesting journey for others, something that they want to look into. and. Uh, to make them understand that this this is not a, a frightening concept. This is something which is interesting and promising, and it's funny, and uh, you 
you meet so many intelligent people, you know, it's that's perhaps the most amazing thing uh, about it. Not only intelligent and intellectuals, but but also, you you know, good people, people with mm-hmm. a, a big heart and uh, who wants uh, to do good things for the, themselves and um, for the, for society, for civilization. You know, it's 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 uh, so the the culture is is so valuable. The, 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 the society, the Bitcoin society, and I want people to to have an sort of easy access to 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 this uh, community. Instead of um, being told as as I was, or the first mm-hmm. much of what I read in the beginning was, you need to study Bitcoin for hours and hours before you you can understand it. Mm-hmm. That was uh, something which excluded me a, a little bit. It, it prov- provoked me a little bit. I, okay, then I'm going to learn this uh, much more, more much quicker. Was my idea, and of course with with my background, my understanding of uh, uh, Austrian economics and uh, monetary. Uh, stuff then it was easier also to understand uh, yeah, the most generic uh, things about uh, Bitcoin of course I I really understand what you mean I really do and I hope that your book will be a big success when when are you gonna you, you plan on launching it like in the bull market of 2024 <laughs> to sell as many books as possible originally uh, we, we planned to, to launch it in May this year mm-hmm. but we postponed it to uh, most likely in October this year. Uh, this year. Oh, that's yes. very soon. Yeah. Oh, it's great. I look forward to reading it. I think that your the concept of the monetary freedom is extremely important. I think that's the one thing that you can get people intellectually behind, even if they don't, if they're not convinced about Bitcoin. And then, um, I just the fact that, like you said, the fact that Bitcoiners are very relaxed. And I seem to be having fun and are optimistic about the world. I think that that's like almost enough these days because people are so frustrated and they don't know what to do and where to go. And you can really see it. It's it's especially with the inflation. It's I am on on normie television um, every every week and 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 they ask me about economics and of course. I didn't expect this, but I started and the inflation immediately came. And so I talk about inflation every week. Right. And they always ask me, what is what is the government supposed to do? You know, what, what are the what is the, the, the government? What are the politicians supposed to do? And I always say, I, I don't know. I mean, what is nothing? They can't do anything. You, you can quit the euro if you want, but that's not what you want to hear. Right. Um, so so what are we going to do? You know, um, I'll be, I, I can't say, you know, adopt the Bitcoin standard. We're not there yet. Um, uh, you have to do it slowly, um, but but it's so. That's why I said inflation as a policy seems to be something that can rarely be stopped. Is that is that would be, be correct? In the in the beginning of our talk today, just to just to reflect a little mm-hmm. bit on on the monetary freedom. Um, subject mm-hmm. because you said that uh, economics economists uh, i'm sorry they sort of take the central banks and central bank policies monetary policy as a given given 
the money comes from sort of originates uh, with the central banks and the banking system. It's given, given you can't do anything about that. And then you don't need sort of to understand the history of money, etc. Mm-hmm. And, and that's sort of the, the, the reality that most people also live in, not only economists, but they feel that this is the natural state, you know, with government created money or government monopolized money and bank money. This is sort of the natural state. This is our history. We don't need to look further back to see what uh, was going on. Then it's almost not part of our culture or our history anymore because nobody talks about it. Exactly. So, pe- not- so people feel that inflation is natural. You know, it's natural. Mm-hmm. And they also say it's good. It's good for the economy and also then hence good for society. Okay, no, you're not supposed to question that. When I say that there is a concept called monetary freedom, and that used to be uh, the normal situation in Norway uh, some 1000 years ago, and then it probably had been like that forever since people began to use uh, a variety of types of money, you know, from from herds uh, to, 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 to hides, you know, to, to, to shells or pearls mm-hmm. or whatever they used, and then coins uh, or, or the weight of silver in terms of uh, jewelry and uh, gold, gold jewelry, etc. You know, so for most of the period that we have a, have had a civilization, that's almost five thousand years now since the, the first civilization started. Uh, probably we have had uh, monetary freedom in most parts of the world in most of that period. And then inflation as a policy started perhaps two and a half thousand years ago. That's the first um, sort of proven, uh, well, it's actually not proven totally, but they say that uh, in Athens, the the Greek city-state of Athens, they started with this Mm -hmm. uh, as a project some 450 years before Christ. Okay, if if the, if it started then, what was the norm before then uh, in in Athens and throughout the world was most likely monetary freedom. So monetary freedom, the right to use whatever money that you like best, is what we have had for the most time when we have had civilizations uh, on in, in, in this world. So that's the natural state. And gradually we, we got uh, inflation policy and monetary policy, perhaps beginning in Athens two and a half year, a thousand years ago. And gradu- gradually it crept all over the world and it came to Norway in 1050. But that's sort of the political state. It hasn't always been like that. And also when when, for instance, the Dutch reintroduced it in uh, the 16th century, they knew about uh, this tradition from um, the Dutch colonies, uh, the Dutch, Dutch, what do you call it? What do you call it? Indian colonies. The East Indies. East Indies, yes, which they took over, I think, from the Portuguese. And the Portuguese had um, a part. I think it was in. Was it in Murs? Yeah, no, that's in Spain. Uh, a part, uh, part of uh, Port- Portugal, they mm-hmm. had monetary freedom in, I think it was in the 7th or the 8th uh, century after Christ. So this is very much part of our her- heritage. And I think 
Yes, it, it's very important to sort of embrace it. This is this is what we develop naturally, what we had naturally as a society, as individuals. We could use the money we liked best. It should be possible to sort of scale that back again, slowly or suddenly uh, at some moment, uh, remove the inflation policy and get back to what's natural for us as a civilization. And also just to finalize my rant there now uh, as I'm going here, I I think that I think that it's important to understand that civilization is very much a concept that develops naturally, but it's it's a reflection of what we are as humans. We are special compared to the other species. And what is it that is so very special about us as humans? Well, first of all, we learn from each other very efficiently, very effectively. So we copy each other's behavior, mm-hmm. uh, bad behavior and good behavior. And we are mainly positive. We mainly want to be good with each other. Uh, we want to treat each other with respect. That's sort of... Although we are, we have this, uh, what you call it, the ability to also, yeah, be violently, uh, act violently, and, and be bad with others. No, but I think it's important. I, I'm sorry that I interrupt you, but it's important because I see this with Bitcoiners, but with people in general, people are good, and yes, incentives turn them into monsters, and one of the incentives can be fiat money, but in general, I don't think that people, you know, are bad. I'm so, so I'm sorry I, I, I interrupted yeah. you. I'm glad you agree with me, me on that because I feel that today many are really in doubt of is, human, is the human race um, a good force on this uh, earth? Uh, we destroy the nature and the climate, etc. It's we who should be eradicated or something like mm-hmm. that. That's mm-hmm. sort of the idea. Uh, man is bad, you know. Um, but I think you couldn't have um, developed a civilization without pe- people being a sort of good-natured, of, yeah, and um, to, that we want to be good with each other uh, and cooperate and learn from each other. But sort of that's that's also part of our belief system, and the belief system is sort of the the base layer, uh, the very foundation of society of civilization. And the next layer, the first layer, if you say that uh, belief system is uh, is sort of layer zero, then the first layer for developing uh, um, a civilization, that's money and the monetary system. Mm -hmm. You can't can't build capital and make investments without money. It's impossible to calculate. You you will just have a sort of a rudimentary, uh, very basic... um, society if you don't have any money so it was the use of money in a society with monetary freedom that enabled us to big to build a a well-functioning civilization Mm -hmm. and then at some point in time somewhere someone got the idea that they wanted to monopolize money and make uh, politics out of it. But the natural state, uh, which is 
just as natural as everything else with us as humans. It's to have, it's to make use of the money that li- we like best. Mm-hmm. That's the natural state. That us as it's an expression uh, of us as human beings. That means that we really go into the almost metaphysical here. We don't even know what parts of our experience Bitcoin is able to unlock. We we can only you know peek behind the curtain, and and maybe that's one of the reasons why Bitcoiners love to stay with other Bitcoiners is because they already have done this. You know they've already started doing this, um, but but. I'm glad if your book can can you explain this to many people. And of course, I did ask you about your age because I do think it's important to have a wide spectrum of ages as well, you know, because somebody who is your age is not going to listen to a 20-year-old YouTuber. It doesn't, you know, he might be listening to you, but not to the 20-year-old YouTuber. You need, you need to have people talking in different languages to different people. And I think this is very important. So, um, Rune... Thank you very much. I think we could go on for a very long time here, but it's already more than an hour. And um, and I think rather than you know prolonging this, we should just do a second episode, maybe when your book is is, is out. Um, it's coming in October. Please, um, where can we find your first book? Where can we find your second book? Where can we find you to give us give us the outro, so to say? So the first book is already on Amazon, and uh, if you want to follow me and interact with me just follow me on twitter or x as it's called these days <laughs> um i'm quite active there and uh, it's, it's a big uh, bitcoin community there as well as most of your viewers know and of course um, i'm also getting used to the nostr uh, platform or protocol as they call it so you find me there as well so okay. let's begin with uh, with X. That would be a great thing. And uh, yes, I would very much love to to come back and uh, talk more uh, with you. It, it's been very interesting. It's very very interesting. Well, thank you very much. Th- thank you for your work. Thank you for your, for your books, for taking the time. Of course, we'll put your Twitter profile and your X profile and your your Nostra public key. We'll put all of those in the show notes. Um, and and I hope that you can help. You know, educating people about inflation as a policy. We didn't even talk too much about that today, but it's in the book. So buy the book, then you can read all about it. Thank you, Rune. Thank you, Nico. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye. For more content, articles, and podcasts like this, go to fixthemoney.net. How long was your shitcoin phase? What was your favorite shitcoin? <laughs>